2: Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Brian Kelly, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Thawing trade tensions, lighting a fire under the market today. Stocks touching their highest levels in more than a month. We'll break down this big rally straight ahead. We're also keeping an eye on shares of Lululemon, the stock popping after reporting results. But it is coming off its after-hours highs as a conference call gets underway. We will bring you the highlights. And later, your stat of the day, 32 reasons why central banks around the world our cuckoo for cutting. We will explain. But first, break out your rally caps because everything is awesome again. Stocks rocketing higher on news. The U.S. and China are returning to the table for a new round of trade talks. The Dow surging 372 points for its best day since August 13th. The S&P 500 now less than 2 percent away from new all-time highs. So, is everything really awesome again, Guy? <laughs> you know on the
3: hype. That song is, a, is an
1: atrocious. Annoying.
2: I know. No, it's and, oh, I kind of like it.
1: Well, let's go. Let's yeah. you yeah, your wedding song? We danced
4: for that uh-huh. first day. And That's it's right. your ringer. You are and right? Steve did? <laughs> <laughs> no. Steve and I, well, one time.
3: It <laughs> was <laughs> a great day. It was a wonderful day. Anywho. <laughs> it's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Remember uh, that whole thing? Right. No, okay. I don't think everything's <laughs> awesome. I think what actually changed today, and I think Pete might have talked about it, is the fact that the Chinese tweeted this, it wasn't a President Trump tweet about, you know, me and my good friend President Xi getting back to the table. So maybe that changes the tune a little bit, although I still think we're really far away from a deal. With that said, you know, we do this thing at the, at the uh, what's that, the plasma. Yes. You know? yeah. Called the power pitch. Called the fast And back. I'm not pretending I'm bullish. I'm not. And I said it last week. I said, but sometimes you can trade things within the framework of a market. And last week, dull market into a holiday. The market should rally. You're seeing the banks rally. We power-pitched Citibank. And I think you're seeing it manifest itself over these last couple days. I still think we go lower. I still think the VIX is going to trade north or around 30. And I think that will be the bottom of the S&P 500. I wish I could tell you when, but I think we're closer to it after today.
5: See? Remember what we said last week, though, to all all your points that you just made? Never short a dull market. market. Don't fight the Fed. Mm -hmm. And now we've broken out. We did nothing. For a month, and we're above the 50-day moving average right now. So I would say we are going to go higher. Who would short the market ahead of that meeting?
3: Ahead of the Fed? No. No.
6: Ahead of the, no. ahead of
5: the trade talks. Because now to Guy's point, though, you to heard it, it from the Chinese now, that know, they're but, looking at the meeting. It, it, it might happen. It's probably going to
4: happen. The chances of it happening are better than it was Last week or two I mean, weeks ago. very well may have a meeting, but Lucy's going to pull the football away again. It happens every single time. But you can't I mean, short the market until Lucy can't I pulls the market. Out. I can do whatever I want. I, I mean, I think you can short the market ahead of that <laughs> meeting, depending on where it goes. Today, we're up 400, 300 some odd points in the Dow. I mean, that's probably short covering, repositioning. But I, I just don't think anything's changed whatsoever. And every single time we've been going through this for over a year now, oh, we have a meeting, and then the meeting falls apart, and then somebody tweets something, and, and we just go nowhere. So why would this be any different this time?
2: Or somebody hikes terrorists all of a sudden
4: by
7: tweets. Exactly. I think the one thing that does make it slightly different, however, is the fact that it wasn't Trump, and the fact that it was the Chinese. So it's more believable. Ta- it's, well, I mean, if, you, if you've lost belief in the president because the tweets have become numb to everybody then all of a sudden this is not trump This is not president trump i should say but it's the chinese saying hey look we want to sit down we want to have a conversation i i think that a lot of this has to do with what's going on in the economy over in china as much as anything i mean we all talk about all the negatives about what's going on and some of the different numbers that are bad here at the united states but mostly around the rest of the world the numbers coming out of china are pretty awful and Uh i think that's getting worse and will continue to get worse so the idea that volatility will remain volatile i agree with what guy was saying Whenever we see these dips, Tuesday, we had a pretty decent dip. I think those are opportunities for some of the buying. I think a move like we 've had over the last couple of days i don 't disagree with you necessarily, but I still think you have to trade what, this market what sure. has
2: changed what is and I know you're, you're not you can 't be in the mind of the Chinese negotiators. It yeah. is impossible right. but well, I mean, what do you think has, has really changed from the Chinese perspective, aside from a couple of data points which we probably knew were going to get worse anyway I mean what 's changed is is what? What, what, impetus, what impetus do they have for having these talks? People Especially are moving out ahead, of China. Ahead, Apple, ahead,
5: Google, ahead. people are going to start moving production lines right, out of China. But it's not
2: happening right now.
5: It's not happening? It's not happening right, right is it, now. Is it going to happen? I will don't anyone, know. Will, uh, you really don't know? Do you, You're a do you smart, really think, intelligent Do you woman. really
2: think that Apple's going to have the capability to remove all of their manufacturing yes. not from all, China? Not
5: all. They said 20%. So twenty percent is going to be moved out. Google is going to start moving it out. Any co- any corporation right now is going to look at it or start to move production out of China. They don't so want. So all lose. of a
2: sudden, the Chinese are scared of that. Uh,
5: not all of a sudden. It's actually happening. So it's taken a long enough effect now that it's happening. You could
4: say no, but I mean, these are I just, companies that are saying so, it. So, I mean, the framework that I'm, that I'm using for this trade war, it is going to drag out until the election, no matter what the economy does here in the U.S. and no matter what the economy does in China. I personally don't think that's a motivator. I think this is just a tactic to drag this thing along. And at the end of it all, we end up in a world where China and the U.S. are split and the supply chains are split. And that's going to create turmoil in the market. Do we go another 3% higher? Maybe. I don't know. But, you know, we've been churning around for 18 months. I don't see anything today that changes my mind that says, oh, the Chinese are ready to make a deal. They're going to do it today because they said they're meeting.
2: They had the 70th anniversary of the PRC October 1st. Uh, The Hong Kong situation seems to have cooled down a little bit. So what what changed in the past week or two that makes them want in your your mind to come to the table Again, I, anymore I, and get I don't a deal think anything's
3: necessarily changed. I think I mean I understand what Steve is saying. I don't think anything has necessarily changed. Maybe the maybe the fact that things are deteriorating over there, maybe it forces them to send a tweet like that to sort of Cool the cool the engines a bit before this meeting, but again, they could have a meeting on October second, October third, whenever it is. I don't think anything's going to come from it. I think the parties are way are far too divided. There are too many things out there that I don't think the U.S. will agree you to. You could short and the and market after the that meeting, though. To. But
5: would you short it before the meeting? I,
3: I think you, I think to Brian's point, you probably can't. I mean, the VIX. I think the VIX is headed higher. I'll say it again. I'm surprised it's here. I'd be the first one to tell you that. But in this environment, a VIX at 20 is too cheap, let alone a VIX at 16 and a half. Clearly,
2: the jobs report on Friday is going to be a very big deal ahead of a Fed meeting.
3: It's going to be a big deal, but I think
5: we already know it's going to be 25 basis points. Before, we weren't sure if it was going to be anything because there was that back and forth between Trump and Powell. And then we had Dudley come on the scene, and we said, all right, we're guaranteed 25 basis points and maybe 50 basis points. Now we know we're getting... 25 basis points, and we're going to get another 25. After.
2: Unless the ECB does less, which takes the pressure off the yeah, Fed. Yeah, I mean, there's, the ultimate some, market surprise. there's a lot of
4: cross-currents, right? I mean, we saw a lot of different things. We saw it now. Brexit's off the table for the time being, mm-hmm. at least until October, it seems, right? So that's the currency volatility is tamped down. We have um, Christine Lagarde coming into the ECB, so perhaps their policy is on hold for a little bit. So we are in this period of detente, oh, but at geez. any moment of time, you could have currency volatility go through the roof. You could have uh, stock market volatility go through the roof.
2: All right. So if you do not think everything is awesome again, our next guest has a way to seek safety. Let's bring in Michael Cantrowitz, chief investment strategist at Cornerstone Macro. Michael, great to have you back. Um, back. You've come here and talked about the Trump trade, which remind us what that stands for.
1: Uh, sure. Uh, tre- uh, treasuries, REITs, uh-huh. utilities, momentum and precious metals
2: okay so this is a defensive sort of basket of stocks and this has done very well lately in the market environment
1: yeah I think first today is probably the first down day in, in a while
2: but do you keep this trade on
1: absolutely okay yes so what
2: kind of what what do you see ahead that that makes you want to stay
1: defensive Sure. We, we think that there's three reasons you want to remain defensive. Uh, number one is we think credit spreads are going to start, uh, or I would say, continue to widening out. That began in 2018, kind of a soft rise in credit spreads. Uh, we had a big pop at the end of last year. They came back in, and now they're starting to move higher because earnings in the economy have continued to lose momentum. That's the first one. Uh, secondly, we think leading indicators like uh, manufacturing PMIs are going to continue to remain under pressure. We just now broke... The ISM Manufacturing Index finally broke below 50, which has happened in every single Fed tightening cycle. So, uh, And then the third thing is we, we think recession risks are going to continue rising, and, and that really comes back to jobs. And so where we are in this cycle now, we've seen uh, leading indicators slow, we've seen profits slow. The question is, are things going to continue to slow enough to see uh, things like weakening uh, employment data, so rising unemployment claims? And that, I think, is ultimately going to make or break this market in the next six months. Uh, And there's a lot we're seeing that uh, warrants caution and paying attention to that.
4: So I'm curious on the REITs part of it, because that seems to me to be the most economically sensitive part of it. So if we're looking at a slowing economy, I would think REITs, yes, I get it because they have yield,
1: but wouldn't you be concerned about their earnings? Sure. Within REITs, you know, know, it's not the hotel REITs uh, that you want to own, because the the prices get reset there every night. It's the longer duration REITs, healthcare, industrial REITs, uh, which have done really well. And Uh, are the reason that REITs trade like bonds. Uh, So you want to stay away from the hotel REITs, but as a sector, as a group, they still trade like bonds, and we think yields are still going to move lower ahead. Uh, But yeah, there is economic sensitivity there. Utilities is kind of a pure bond play.
3: So the TUP, the Treasury's utilities and and the precious metals of that, I mean, inherently I would imagine there's some negative bias to the S&P 500. For this trade to continue to work, does the broader market or the S&P specifically have to trade lower?
1: No. Uh, it's, it's worked really well with the S&P moving sideways. You know, in the last 18 months, the S&P has essentially gone nowhere. Uh, and you've made a huge amount of gains in tech discretionary, REITs, and utilities. I think those are the only four sectors that are actually up going back to January of 2018. Uh, and so we are bearish uh, on, on equities, but I wouldn't be shorting the S&P. I'd be shorting smaller cap cyclical, uh, the, uh, the Russell 2000 value index, uh, or small caps or mid cap value. S&P is the last thing you want to short because it's got the most utilities, staples, healthcare, and REITs, uh, which it'll be the last one to go.
2: All right, Michael, great to see you. Thank you, Michael Kantrowitz, okay, of thanks. Cornerstone Macro.
3: Great looking beard, by the way. No, talk to Steve. I just wanted like like to point yeah. that out. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. Yeah.
2: I, didn't know I just I wanted beer. to bring it up. Excellent. Right, okay. Look at that. It's a right. good-looking uh, beer. Steve, what do you want?
5: So What's XLUs, about? the utilities, are up 20% <laughs> year-to-date. I think you could stay there, uh, I think, on a head fake day like today. But I think gold's really fascinating. G- GDX, the gold miners, 45% year-to-date. I'd stay in that trade. I think it's got a lot more room to the upside.
7: I'd agree with you. As a matter of fact, I'm still long GDX, which I added to just the other day. And even though we had this pullback today in metals, They've been sprinting to the upside, absolutely on yeah. fire. And he mentioned some of the technology names, too, when you talk about momentum. And I think you look at some of those names, when you still have the fundamental story there, Mel, and what we've heard in this last earnings cycle was still pretty strong in majority of those names, I think you can stick with that along with the metals right now, especially silver.
2: All right, we've got a news alert on Apple. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with the details. Josh. Yeah,
5: Melissa. Some Apple news here. Apple does plan to offer here a uh, seven billion worth of bonds. Uh, we knew they had filed. it. We didn't know how much, though. Now we do. Uh, it looks like ranging in maturity between 2022 and 2049. First offering, by the way, um, since 2017. Uh, plans to use the proceeds. It looks like for general corporate purposes, uh, share buybacks, payment of dividends, funding for working capital and acquisitions. Uh, and again, the headline here: Apple will offer seven billion worth of bonds. Melissa, back to you.
2: All right. Thank you very much. That's actually the, the amount, the exact amount that they last borrowed from the bond market back in 2017. This week has been a monster week for issuance to right. alone was a record issuance led by Disney
4: because everybody thinks yields are going lower right that that is the trade here that's the, what everybody's in ultimately what concerns me is you know how much capacity is there out there for all this debt issuance now remember we also have US Treasury debt issuance coming out so far they've been able to get up good for Apple this is exactly what they should be doing at this point in time there will be a day and then we think we might even have somebody coming up who can tell us when that day is coming that these bond deals can't get done Done, but until that time is, Apple should keep doing
2: it. They've already got $200 billion well, that's, that's in cash, cash equivalents. What's this? I,
3: I don't need. I mean, I'm sure a rainy it's, day. I like good rainy day. You know, sometimes you watch a good movie on the Netflix. I mean, maybe that's a good point. $7 billion for a rainy TV. day. It's cheap money. It's, it makes a lot of sense. Good point by you. I don't know why they're doing
5: it. And people want to give money to companies that are successful, the companies that can outperform. And you don't know what, what they're they going to do, so but a it's risk, cheap. Right? It's cheap. It's a low risk. It's cheap. Continue to just, that machine keeps going. They're getting paid to do what they do, and that's make money.
2: All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Up next year, of Lululemon moving higher after reporting results. We're listening in on the company's conference call. We'll bring you the big headlines. And later, Bitcoin gets the Hamilton treatment with a viral video that you've got to see. We'll bring it to you live. We are out live from Times Square in New York City. Much more. Fast money right after this.
8: You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang and Olufsen sound system, up to a 313 mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Lululemon, the athleisure stock jumping in the after hours. Let's
0: get to Contessa Brewer at headquarters with the latest. Contessa. Hi there, Melissa. Yeah, Lululemon is flexing its muscle in the athleisure world. It's building strength in comp store sales up 15% versus 12% analysts expected in direct to consumer revenues are up 30%. And like its fabrics, it's stretching in many ways. It's bulking up its business in menswear, where comps increased 27%. In Europe, revenue grew 35%. Its e-commerce comps in China up 70%. Lulu's CEO, Calvin McDonald, says the company's delivering on its three pillars for growth, product innovation, market expansion, and what it calls omni-guest experience. That's what they... Call when they want to envelop these customers in every way. They want to do it online, they want to do it in stores with events and membership programs that really engage these customers inside and outside the store. While digital and e commerce make up about a quarter of the company, Lulu is investing in bricks and mortar as well. It's following its experiential store in Chicago with key stores that will open at the Mall of America in Minneapolis and on 5th Avenue in New York City. And this quarter alone, the company plans to open 22 new stores. Certainly, the company's having to plan around China tariffs. For instance, it's paying more for air freight as a hedge against port congestion related to tariffs. That may moderate its margin growth.
8: We expect gross margin to be flat to up modestly versus Q3 of last year. Our guidance reflects the impact from new tariffs imposed on imports from China, as well as additional air
6: freight expense.
0: Lululemon raised its third quarter outlook on revenues and its guidance for the full year. The stock is certainly reflecting that in extended trading. We're seeing it now up 4%. and Of course, it closed up about 4% on the day as well, Melissa. All right. Contessa, thank you.
2: Contessa Brewer. Pete Nigerian what do you think of Lulu? They hit
0: on everything that you expected.
7: I mean, the reality is last quarter seems a lot like this quarter, even though we're going through this China trade war. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And the the one area, the margins that she mentioned, they, th- they expect them to be flat to up. Mm-hmm. Well, they're already at 55 percent. Right. They've been going up. They've been moving up. As a matter of fact, they've improved almost every single quarter, every single y- year for the last five or six years. So this is six year, uh, quarters in a row where they've beat. And they beat on both sides. They absolutely crushed what they needed to do. And the e-commerce of China. I mean, we we talk about the international portion of what they do. It's men's, it's international, and it's what they're doing in terms of some of the square foot numbers, Mel, are absolutely extraordinary for Lulu. It's, It's amazing how well they're functioning right now. And it's because they have something that it seems like nobody's able to go after it. I'm not sure why the mode is as good as it is. But while this last melt, and you continue to see the growth, and they raised it for next quarter and full year, that says a lot about how good things really are in the face of what we're seeing going on overseas.
2: I mean, it seems to check the box in terms of this sort of weird bifurcated market that we're in, where people want defensive, but they're willing to pay for growth, right? right? This is the growth, obviously.
5: So with Lulu, the fact that they were able to turn a men's product into something that people wanted. More and more men that you see you're wearing. I I, I own multiple pairs of Lulus. I never thought I would have said that five years ago, three years ago. I wear them now. Asia, Europe, men's, gross
4: margins. You still got to be a buyer. Well, I don't own any Lulu pants
5: Because you I,
2: can't get a hold well, of them. Well,
4: exactly. You can't get them, and that's actually the point. I went to Sold buy some out. online. Sold out. Sold
2: out. Sold out across the board. You didn't check at the store across the street from your house, though. <laughs> no. Well, no, but I'm committed to the online now. I'm you're, committed you're an, to the you're online You're omni-customer.
4: I am the omni-guest for Lulu right there here. You. Uh, I didn't check at the store across the street from where I live, but the internet's much more convenient. All sold out. Menswear is where it's at. I still like the stock. Well, as I tell you all the time, the next thing
3: I buy on the line will be the first thing I buy online. Yeah. So clearly, yeah. I'm not you one say of buy their on the line. On the line. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of their Omni people. But I do go to the Lulu and <laughs> Short Hills Mall, and we talked. I mentioned my, you know my affinity for their box of briefs, and you said too much information, but as Earlier. it turns out, it ain't just me, sister, because you look at operating margins, we're 19%. We talked about it. Now, you look 32 times to say this is an expensive stock. No. It's not expensive with the EPS growth they have and the fact that comps were up 17% this year, or this quarter. She was looking for 12 I mean, they're crushing it on all metrics. The most mentioned. interesting
7: part about the men's and why yeah. they're actually growing it, if you walk into a Lulu these days, mm-hmm. I did in the Mall of America not that long ago, right. the men's portion of the store is getting bigger and bigger and bigger when you walk in there. It used to be probably 80% female and then 10-20% on the male side. There's children as well. But I'll tell you what, it's unbelievable how much they are doing in the men's area and the growth that they've got there, Mel.
4: I should look at one of those.
7: The stores. Stores. You (laughs) ought to walk into (laughs) a bricks and mortar. And they're expanding bricks and mortar. I understand they have
2: stores now. You can read more about Lulu's quarter on our website CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show.
4: The Great Rate Debate Central banks around the world are on a cutting craze 32 reasons why they're just getting started And later, turning likes into love Facebook is getting in on the dating game And that has one stock feeling jilted We'll explain when Fast Money returns
6: What does it mean to be rich?
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for our stat of the day. Global central banks have been on a rate-cutting binge this year. We all know that. But get this. There have been a whopping 32 rate cuts worldwide this year alone. And according to the markets... That's right. We've only just begun swap markets pricing in another 58 cuts around the world over the next 12 months. So how could this rate-cutting craze impact equities Worldwide, Guy Don. I,
3: I don't think it's particularly bullish. I love the Carpenters, by the way, as I mentioned in the break. Karen, just terrible. <laughs> Fantastic song. One of the top ten voices of all time. And she was a drummer. I digress. At a certain point, diminishing marginal returns. I don't know what the central banks are trying to accomplish, but when... 30% now, I think, of global sovereign bonds have negative yields. That has to be almost by definition problematic. But,
5: but not rates lead to higher equities. Exactly. So it, it, you're looking so at a multiple say. basis, and you're looking at money flooding into equities. That's what we've seen. And, and by the way, it's a win-win. When we've seen rates go up, even fractionally, money still comes into equities. When we see rates go lower, money gets forced into equities. So it's a win-win. I don't think rates are going as low as those 58 other people that were polled.
4: Well, it's, it's for right now, a win for U.S. equities. I mean, if you look at Japan, if you look at Europe, those equities as don't look as, as good. As long as we stay relatively as higher. As long as we stay relatively higher because you have... That kind of relative value trade, right? So at some point it ends, but for the U.S., it's okay for now. For the rest of the world, you do reach this point where you start to destroy the banks, you start to destroy savers. We haven't reached that yet in the U.S.
2: Won't our rates always be relatively higher because our bonds are more of a safe haven than other bonds around the world? That's a big assumption. Is it?
4: I mean, I'd rather own Apple
7: bonds than U.S. Treasuries.
2: Huh. Pete? I think the win-win, I think that makes a lot
7: of sense to me as well. Because, I mean, when you're looking at this right now, and people have been running for this trade for a while now, Mel. I mean, you look at what's happening in the equity markets. We're 2% off the all-time highs. And if you look over the last 18 months or so, this move to the upside has been pretty amazingly fast. We're up 13% or more right now on the Dow as it is, just this year alone. So... It seems to me that people are still hunting for what they want, and they're finding it here in the U.S.
2: All right. Well, while the world cuts rates, one top fixed income strategist predicts U.S. rates are going substantially lower. Bob Michael is the head of Global Fixed Income at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Bob, welcome back to the show. Thank Uh, you. You see zero percent on the 10-year yield?
8: That's where we're headed. Mm, I don't see any case for the central banks not continuing to cut rates. They do not have an inflation problem. They potentially have a trade problem which spills over into a global recession. Why not systematically cut rates and try to head off the downturn that's in play now?
2: Can you give us the context of that 0% scenario in that? I mean, do you see... 0% on the 10-year, and you see yield curve inversion for us. Where do you see uh, international rates relative to that 0% if we hit that in the United States?
8: By the way, what I just heard is 30% of the world would love zero because that would be a higher yield than where they're investing currently. that's true. (laughs) So we shouldn't poo-poo zero as being fictitious. I think what gets us there is... No compromise on the trade front. No other fiscal impulse coming through. The manufacturing slowdown spills into the services side. You get a global recession. The central banks have to take rates down. The Fed takes rates down to zero. Just remove funding pressure from the system, then they're done, and I think the rest of the world comes in and continues to buy US treasuries.
2: So we'll always be higher on a relative basis in rates, even though we go to zero.
8: I think the Fed would set the floor at 0%. I don't think they do the experimental negative rates that you've seen in Europe and Japan. Whether the rest of the world still comes in and takes you below zero, I don't know. It seems ridiculous to me that the U.S. is the high-yielding government bond out there. If it is genuinely the safe haven, it should have the most buying and bring the yield much lower.
4: So, Bob, is there a point that we, the bond market or investors lose their appetite? I feel like we're just kind of stuffing this goose, getting it ready to make pate or something, and all of a sudden, one day, it's going to lose its appetite. When does that happen?
8: When the central banks tell us that it's going to end. And right now, they're not telling us that. They're telling us they only have a handful of tools. It's to lower rates. It's to expand their balance sheets. Both of those things bring government bond yields down until they get inflation to where they want to see it or until they get growth to where they want to see it.
5: So, Bob, usually during a recession, historically, the Fed has about five or six percentage points to play around with. That's historic. That's been in the last couple of recessions that we've seen. And they used every bit of that interest rates. They don't have that now. Do they use the balance sheet? And is that really throwing in the towel, admitting that this whole experiment that we've had since the Great Recession has failed? I don't know
8: how much they're going to use the balance sheet in here. I think if they take rates down to zero, and I would cut every meeting for the next four meetings, take another 100 basis points off the Fed funds rate, see if anything breaks on the fiscal side or the trade side. And then once you get to zero, once you have expanded the balance sheet enough to bring the curve flat to zero, you've done enough. Then somebody else has to step up. You need the administration. You need fiscal policy to come through and help out. Otherwise, you are just going to have a recession but they've done what they could.
2: What are the ripple effects of, of the U.S. going to 0%, particularly when it comes to the corporate bond market?
8: Well, it should be great for companies because right. it lowers their funding rate. It should be great for consumers because it will lower mortgage rate. Whether that in and of itself is enough to head off a recession, we don't think so. Look at Germany. If you look at Germany, unemployment has come down Uh From the recession, from just over 8% to 5%. Rates in Germany, the central bank is at minus four-tenths of a percent. The 10-year is at minus seven-tenths of a percent. So you've got good employment, you've got negative rates, not just low rates, and they just posted minus three-tenths of a percent GDP.
2: It should be better, but isn't it, is it sort of like a, a chicken-and-egg scenario in which the Fed is cutting rates because there could be a spillover into the services sector from the manufacturing sector in terms of weakness? Um, and perhaps corporations get weaker. They issue a lot more debt, or they have been on a debt issuance binge uh, in the past year, two years or so. And it's more difficult for them in terms of the environment.
8: Well, they've always got debt rolling off, so they right. can refinance into into to lower, uh, to, to lower cost debt, and I think that helps them. Whether they will continue to borrow, if they don't see aggregate final demand, because you're heading into a recession, they're not going to leverage their balance sheet. They're going to be focused on their credit rating.
2: In the wor- in the world in which the U.S. is at zero percent, Bob, what is is the economy in recession?
8: Without question. You you can't get to zero until you have a recession in the U.S. Otherwise, the Fed won't bring rates down to zero, and you probably won't get the buying coming in from overseas because they'll be worried about a pickup in growth and inflation. But
2: that's key because that implies that even though you think the Fed's going to keep cutting rates, that it's really not going to turn things around for the economy.
8: I don't think so. I don't think at this point in the cycle it just feels that the expansion has gone on long enough. You need something on the fiscal side. I don't know that the administration could get something through Congress. I agree with the comments I heard earlier on the trade front. I don't know that you're going to see anything there. Um, So it looks like the Fed will have to do what it can, and then you'll just have to go through a recession.
2: Bob, thank you. Bob Michael, J.P. Morgan.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, but why should the Fed do what it? I mean, this is where I disagree. I I think a recessions are a natural part of the cycle. I think it's an essential part of the cycle. Old companies go away, new companies grow. It's painful, but it's imperative that it happens. We're just trying to prolong the inevitable and by doing so, you make the inevitable in my opinion that much worse.
2: Well, you don't think the Fed should cut no. Yeah. I I, and, and Thanks, I'm Mr. Dudley. I
3: Thank you, Mr.
5: Dudley.
2: No, but I,
3: I've, been, I've, been, I've been pretty steadfast <laughs> in it, and there are other people who have come around to that same way of thinking. By the way, I'm not saying I'm right; it's just my opinion.
5: You know what will work in that? Homebuilders. builders, Lennar, Pulte, both up 32 percent year to date. The homebuilders should be up on that, even before we have a lot of time before we get to that "quote unquote" recession.
2: Up next, WeWork getting work today. Sources say the company is slashing its valuation ahead of its highly anticipated IPO. We'll break down the numbers. And later, Facebook is getting in on the dating game, but the move has one stock feeling brokenhearted. We'll bring you the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big news on WeWork. Sources say the company is slashing its valuation ahead of its highly anticipated market debut. Let's get to Leslie Picker at
6: headquarters with the details. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. WeWork's parent company and its bankers have been discussing valuation ranges ahead of its potential IPO. So far, it's unclear what level gives this stock sufficient investor demand to actually go public. Sources say they're toying with something less than $25 billion. That's about half the valuation that the company last raised capital from SoftBank. It's unclear, though, that even a $20 billion valuation would suffice. Investor sentiment has been notably negative on this deal, overlaid by concerns surrounding the business model, corporate governance, and price. The Wall Street Journal reported that WeWork CEO Adam Neumann went to Tokyo last week to meet with SoftBank's Masasone. At that meeting, they discussed the possibility of an additional capital infusion that would allow WeWork to delay its IPO to next year, or having SoftBank serve as an anchor investor in the IPO. If WeWork did choose to proceed at that valuation, it wouldn't be the first time this year we've seen companies debut below their latest funding, private funding round. Uh, Pinterest marketed its IPO below its private valuation, a move that seemed to work in the company's favor. Uber debuted right around its private valuation, but dipped below that and has yet to recover. All that goes to show WeWork debuting underneath its private round may or may not be helpful for its aftermarket performance, But most investors I've spoken with see WeWork as an idiosyncratic story and therefore believe any challenges related to this deal are unlikely to be the death knell for the entire IPO market, Melissa.
2: All right. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker at headquarters. I agree that WeWork is a lot different from a lot of the other IPOs that have either hit the market or are coming to the market. But what is common amongst a lot of these IPOs is that they don't make any money and that they've never operated in an environment where there has been an economic slowdown.
4: Absolutely. so, So WeWork I would not use as kind of the canary in the coal mine. As you said, that the IPO market's coming to the end. But this is somewhat typical, right? You have venture capital funds that are looking to get out of these things, looking to monetize something they've been in with five or 10 years. They don't make money. That's the typical Silicon Valley. In terms of WeWork, though, you could argue that SoftBank is actually the one that created some of this problem. Because they have so much money, and because they're out there buying everything, they bumped up all these valuations. Now they're feeling a bit of the repercussions. My guess is WeWork probably doesn't go public. They get an infusion from SoftBank, and a year from now we see what happens.
2: Oh, you think the deal gets scrapped entirely? I think
7: the deal gets scrapped. It makes some sense to me as well, Mel, just because the fact that they actually invested the $2 at a $47 billion valuation level, and here we're talking about $25 billion, I would think that SoftBank would want to step back a little bit and say, hey, we're already $7 billion deep, but you know what? Maybe we add a little bit more and give you that money so that you can get there. And maybe the time a year from now or so gives them the time to actually see a market that looks a little bit better in terms of the rest of the world and everybody wanting to invest. I think right now we, we have seen nothing but IPOs of companies that do not make money. And it's really easy to just... Point the finger right directly at Uber, at Lyft, and many of the other ones. Slack, some of these companies that are just hemorrhaging money. It seems like every single quarter.
3: I mean, well, there's a saying in gambling, not that I gamble. I'm going to talk about you football, No, I you don't you chase do. bad money with good money, and effectively, that's what Pete's. Yeah, that's what they yeah. And then yeah. maybe that happens. I'm know. not pitching that. No, as no an I know idea. he's not pitching it. I'm just saying that's effectively what that would be, but it's probably what might happen. I'll say this: if you want to play the space, and we've talked about this. Look at the move in the NASDAQ, and I know there are landlords, I get it, but the NASDAQ, the stock, has been on fire. As, by the way, many other exchanges, I just point them out. To point them out.
2: All right, let's switch gears here. It is official. Facebook is getting into the dating game by launching its own matchmaking feature. Um, not everyone is loving the idea, though. Take a look at Match Group, taking a big hit on the news along with its parent company IAC, The Drop, erasing uh, early gains seen following an upgrade at SunTrust. So, with a company plagued by privacy concerns, is Facebook's big bet on love a good move, Pete? <laughs>
7: I think it's a great move. I mean, they're con- I know what you're talking about, though, Mel, when you talk about the privacy issues and all the money that we all hear about with Mark Zuckerberg and how much money they're trying to put into this whole thing to get themselves far more secure than they once were. And maybe they're getting there. I know they're putting the money towards it. But that, that is going to a, a continue to be sort of an overhang and an issue, I think, going forward. But the investments that Facebook has made have almost all, two a, of to a company, worked out, from Instagram, messenger. I mean, you go through all of these various different, what we call verticals all the time. I think this vertical makes a lot of sense. And all the people who are going to leave because of the privacy issues, they're back. The growth is still there when you look at Facebook, you look at Instagram, you look at the, the numbers and how, how often people are there and how, you know, the daily, the monthly, everything. These numbers continue to be really, really impressive. And the free cash flow. I mean, that part of it, I think, is something that almost gets overlooked every single quarter is the growth and free cash flow right now for Facebook is absolutely extraordinary. So. Getting into this world, it already makes sense to me, because what is Facebook? It's connecting people back to I think to we're
5: underestimating, though, how people want certain aspects of their life separate. I know that they're going to address this. I don't know if they can address it the same way that a match is totally separate. And by the way, the first time we heard about this, match is up 120% from the first time we heard about Facebook. It's not a match killer. Match is up 91% year to date. It's got to give a little give back.
2: Well, do you think that part of that is because of the promises of, divest, of IAC divesting Match entirely? I mean, a big chun, a chunk of those games have happened recently with that promise.
5: The, the recent last tick up, yes, yeah. that, that was it. But also, there is so much uh, the circulation of this app with everyone. There is so much buzz around Match. The way that they set their algorithms, not that I know. But the way that they set their algorithms seems to be the most successful in the dating world. And they just gobble up a lot of other companies that seem to do it even better than they do it and they put them all underneath the same umbrella and i don't think facebook can do as good a job
2: all right we want to uh, draw your attention to beyond Meat. we noticed that it was moving lower in the after hour session d a davidson initiating coverage on the stock uh, after the bell with an underperform rating analyst brian holland says he believes long-term forecasts for the plant-based meat market is lower than the consensus view d a davidson slapping a one hundred thirty dollar price target on this stock they say that uh... You know, the total addressable market is probably more like the plant based milk market. But unlike the plant based milk market, where you have people who have to find a solution, an alternative to actual milk because they may be lactose intolerant. Most people in the meat market don't don't have to find a solution to meat.
3: I mean, listen, I like the call, but I would have liked this call. Fifty dollars ago, so I mean, it's, the stock has been unbelievable. <laughs> I'll say this though: if you're looking to trade against something, I think they priced that secondary or that that all that stock to about one sixty or so. Yeah. The lockup mm-hmm. at one sixty—that's sort of what you trade against. So it really hasn't gotten through that on the upside in a meaningful way. So maybe it gets to that one thirty level. I, you know, to me, it's a no touch here. Maybe wait for it to get to the 130 level DA just pointed out.
4: Yeah, I think I'm probably more in guys camp, and you wait to see if this kind of bad news creates a good price action. If you want to trade it, that's how I'd get into it. I think the problem you're starting to have with Beyond Meat and Impossible is that people are starting to understand that, you know what, they may not be as healthy as you originally thought. There's a lot of sodium in there, and, you know, maybe some of the burger companies, burger like Burger King or these other places, are purposely making them full of fat so they go back to the meat. I don't know. Just Ooh. throwing it out there. Interesting.
2: Yeah. It's such a
4: conspiracy.
2: <laughs> it really is. I mean, <laughs> really, like. Like yeah, That's <laughs> yeah, a
5: that's out. Yeah. Coming
2: up. it <laughs> It's been a rough go for Macy's. In fact, it's the worst performer in the S P 500 this year. But the company just did something that has options traders shopping back into the stock. We'll tell you what that is. Plus, a Bitcoin rap battle going viral as a debate on cash versus crypto heats up. Our Bitcoin baller, BK, will weigh in to set the record straight. We've got much more fast right after this. Delivering Alpha, the most important investor summit nine years running. Strategy from leading alpha generators. Direct access to policymakers and government leaders. On September 19th, see who's calling the shots now. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com to attend this year's blockbuster event.
7: You will come away
3: with ideas that you can put to work immediately.
2: Plus, special guest Vice President Mike Pence talks economy and trade war impact. Reserve your spot now at DeliveringAlpha.com. What you just experienced is a snippet of a viral video featuring Alexander Hamilton, founding father and first secretary of the Treasury, going up against Satoshi Nakamoto, the alleged inventor of Bitcoin in an epic rap battle, the two sparring over the merits of a centralized versus decentralized currency, no matter who you ha- think had the better rhymes. It's hard to argue Bitcoin hasn't had a huge year. It's up nearly 200% in 2019. Luckily, we've got Bitcoin Baller here to settle the score once and for all. This video, by the way, goes on. It's it's, it's a about long, six minutes long. It's very involved. And It's
4: glorious. It's It's, uh, six minutes of glory. It's fantastic, actually. You know, uh, Reed Hoffman is the one who actually uh, helped produce this. So thank you, Reed, for six minutes of joy this morning. It's a cringeworthy in (laughs) some places as, as well, but I think it makes the point of you have effectively a new decentralized currency, which is Bitcoin, versus the old fiat currency, centralized. We're seeing. We already talked about 32 central banks cutting rates this year. That'll devalue that currency. And every 80 years or so, we go through these currency changes. I mean, we were on the gold standard. We were on a silver gold standard. Then we have, were on the British pound standard. And now here we are with Bitcoin. And that's the reason why you want to buy it.
2: Well, I mean, right here, right now, it's really the, the whole flight to safety sort of defensive trade it is. that has perked Bitcoin up.
4: And you know what's interesting over the last couple of days, particularly with the Brexit vote, we've seen... Uh, Bitcoin trade with the vote. So you're starting to see macro players come into this. They're starting to use it as kind of a currency vol type of trade. And there's going to be a period before the end of the year. Maybe we get one more whoosh down. But that's going to be your generational buy. That's going to change careers. With
2: every setback that Boris Johnson has suffered, Bitcoin has also suffered. No, actually, yes, yes, yes,
4: exactly. So
2: as the pound has gone down, Bitcoin goes up, Mm -hmm.
4: vice versa. All right.
2: Up next, Macy's shares seeing a bit of magic today after announcing a big turnaround plan. But will customers buy it? We'll debate it ahead. Plus, take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is laying out his fantasy stock portfolio in NF- as NFL season kicks off. Be sure to catch MAD coming up top of the hour. We're live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more fast still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Macy's marching higher today. The beleaguered retailer saying at a conference hosted by Goldman Sachs that they plan on saving up to $550 million a year by cutting back on discounts and changing up how they target customers with promotions. So is this a thrifty way for Macy's to make a comeback or just... Pennywise and Pound Foolish, and I guess we ask this because the Macy's customers probably conditioned to always seek out those sales.
5: I I think that the worst is over for the retail space. I think it's been so front-loaded negative Mm -hmm. that from now until the end of the year, you're going to have easier comps. You're going to have less tariff talks. You saw Target already talk about they're not taking any more hits. Suppliers are going to have to do that for them. So I think you're going to see the names that have been beaten up the most run the most. and It's going to be mostly by short covering. Maybe even the next month, but I think into Christmas, all these names are buys. Yeah.
3: Can they afford I don't to do this? I listen, I think it had to do something, Macy. It's clear they had to do something. Yeah. But I I think there's a short term buying opportunity. We talked about it a couple weeks ago with JWN. We talked about it last night with PVH. Pedro mentions he's a Maximista all the time. Kitty. Target's been on fire. So I think yes, yeah, specific <laughs> stocks can do well, but I don't think that makes any I don't think you make any correlation in terms of consumer health and out. I think, Macy's, you could buy here for a short-covering trade the same way I think you can say with PBH and probably JWN.
2: did Macy's just say in their latest conference call, I think that uh, their efforts to charge more for the consumer, like they passed through certain costs to the consumer because of uh, anticipating the tariffs, and it was not successful. No. Yeah. Are you running them down the street? <laughs> I'm just, right. 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 No. Well, I'm just wondering if they stop you know, giving out these discounts and promotions, are customers still going to go? No. No, no, I mean, this. We're is,
4: together. Uh, since, since Pete's here, I'll, I'll give you the football analogy. Back in the 80s, there was a football player named Doug Flutie. Ah. He did what's called a Hail Mary pass. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. Right. It worked
2: for yeah, Doug but, Flutie but once. Let's see what the options market says about Macy's. Let's get to Mike Co. <laughs> in San Francisco. Mike.
5: Yeah, so I think the uh, options trader that I was looking at, they were probably listening to Guy's advice here, playing for probably a very short-term bounce. We saw calls outpacing puts by about 3 to 1. And one of the more interesting trades was a purchase of 1,000 of the September 16 calls. Somebody was spending just 15 cents to buy those. And that's exactly what Guy was talking about, playing for a short, short-term short bounce, committing a small amount of capital. And if there is some short covering, this is a trade that's poised to do well in that case.
2: Thanks for that. Mike Cohen, San Francisco, for more options action. Our full show is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. It is a huge night tonight on NBC. Packers, Bears kicking it off for the NFL's 100th season. Be sure to catch that game tonight, 7.30 Eastern time on NBC. So that got us thinking about some touchdown final Mm. trades. Pete Najarian, kick it off. I'm going to give you a touchdown trade. How about Wells
7: Fargo? The The financials are moving a little bit. I like Wells Fargo going forward. I think sooner or later, the CEO is going to be in place.
2: GDU. BK
4: Brian Kelly. You know, I'm looking for one to spike lower, spike down like the football players do. Uh, EEM, you sell that one. Steve Grasso. All the
5: names that were sold because of trade are going to be bought and covered going into that trade date. Caterpillar,
3: C-A-T, C-A-T. You know, Melms, the kicking game is a very important part of the NFL. Obviously. So I'm going to give you a field goal in Discovery Communication. Disco!
2: That does us. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now. (laughs)